Welcome to the Without Limits Podcast, where we discuss running, endurance sports, nutrition, race-directing events, and ways to improve your life physically, mentally, and spiritually, all from the perspective of the endurance athlete. I'm your host, Tom Clifford, and today I have my good friend, Colin Hackman, in the studio, and we decided we were just going to do running chat, intermixed into our somewhat serious podcast. You might find some funny things in here. You might find some serious things in here. You might find some awkward things in this conversation, which is always fun when we're talking about running. So Colin's got some questions for me, and I'm going to ad-lib some questions for him. Uh, We're going to keep it very relevant to the situation. Right now it is mid-April in 2020, and we are in a lockdown from the coronavirus. So we are trying to find ways to stay busy, we are trying to find ways to stay motivated due to lack of race events in the industry right now. We have all of the races that we know of in the next two months are canceled. And my good friend Colin here owns a timing business here in Wilmington, North Carolina called Go Time. The website is www.its-go-time.com. They time over 100 events a year. Some of our largest events, they, they had uh, timed this year's Wilmington Marathon, which got canceled. I partnered with Colin on a race in the fall called the Parkway Subaru Battleship Half Marathon. And Colin is one of those guys, a very innovative person. He's a meteorologist and a runner at the same time and a race timer. So he owns several businesses. He's very good at several things. Um, but he decided uh, last week to put on a marathon for himself and a few other folks and run our Wrightsville Beach Loop, which is 2.6 miles. He ran it 10 times, qualified himself for the 2021 Boston Marathon by running a 252. He certified the course, and I'm going to start this conversation just by asking him how that all went. Colin, how you doing? (laughs) I'm doing great. It's awesome to see you doing this, Um, and you're killing it, too. uh, You're... You had Dave McGilvery, which is awesome. He's a fantastic guest, and I'm not sure. This is obviously a pretty big downgrade to have me on the, on the <laughs> No, I don't on, think so. On the podcast. What the audience doesn't know is who you really are. Yeah, but. Or nor do they know who you really are, but maybe we'll get into all that today. Um, yeah, so we had to figure out a way to keep the training rolling um, for Boston. I was training for Boston. As you know, you were coaching me. Um, Tom and I live parallel lives and our lives are really intertwined with the race timing and the coaching. We're partners in the youth business, uh, the youth camp, uh, a, a bunch of different things. And, and so my training was going good the first of March and I needed a, I needed a race. And uh, I'm uniquely qualified to be able to get a course certified, to have bona fide racing timing and to find at least three participants, which are the rules for Boston. You have to have a bona fide race. You have to, it has to be timed. You have to have at least three competitors, uh, and it has to be on a certified course. So we were able to throw all that together, uh, and within the limits of our current lockdown orders, we had 10 people socially distanced at the start line. We had a, probably the highest percentage of Boston qualifiers of any race that I, that I know of. We had 60% of the field qualify for the Boston Marathon and uh, 30% of the field PR. It was a really awesome thing to do. I think that the people that participated in it uh, just were, Renee called it a little race that could. Uh, so it was fun, and it was uh, free uh, for those who, who were able to, to jump in it, and it was exciting just to be back out doing things. So uh, it was great, you know, and obviously took a lot of time, but time is something that I have some of right now. 
How is running 10 by 2.6 miles? Great for about five laps as a 10 lap race. And then it got hard, you know, mentally it, it, it was difficult. Of course, I was running faster than I've ever run before. And I, I'm old, I'm 43, I'm soon to be 44. So running sub three hours, I haven't done that in a couple of years. Um, in spite of trying last year's Boston didn't go great for me. I did requalify, but I didn't run under three. And my goal was to run in the two forties and I fell short of that, but I feel like it was a good effort. So I uh, got up that morning and to come down and watch Colin and he had started at 630 in the morning. And I, uh, my house, I live about um, from the bird's eye view, about a quarter mile from the water, but on the intercoastal side, when you cross Wrightsville Beach, you're, you're actually on the island. And when I crossed, the, the temperature went up 10 degrees. For those of you who don't understand southeastern North Carolina, there's a the beach land and the bar- barrier islands are off the coast just a little bit. And when that ocean temperature is up a little bit, it can it can make the ambient air temperature higher due to humidity. So they chose Riceville Beach, and it was 10 degrees warmer than it was on the mainland that morning, which was interesting. So they did have not ideal conditions, but what would you tell somebody who is looking to qualify for Boston that has the opportunity to run a 10 by 2.6 mile loop? Yes. Would it be your first choice? Would it be a good choice? I think that it it's under the right circumstances and you're mentally ready for it. Absolutely. It's fantastic because 10 by 2.6 miles allows you to get your own aid every 2.6 miles. If you like to have water and or whatever electrolyte you like every 2.6 miles, it also allows you to every other lap pick up nutrition. It also allows you to see a stationary spectator 10 times over the course. As you know, if you send your family to see you on the Boston Marathon course, they get one shot. They can either see you at the halfway point, the start, or the finish, and nowhere in between. So uh, that part of it is it w- was really good, and it's hard to hide. You know, it's similar to a track race. You can't really like, okay, I'm going to back off a little bit here uh, because you're getting a consistent split both from your watch and from when you come through the, the 2.62 uh, mile mark. So I, to change subjects here just a little bit, um, if you go back to episode three of our Without Limits podcast, you'll see I interviewed Dave McGilvery recently. He's the race director of the Boston Marathon and owns DMSE Sports. And Dave had relevant information to where we are right now in the event industry. As you know, the event industry has canceled pretty much every event that we can think of. And, and is a, a lot of the events are rescheduled for this fall, which is still a big question mark. Dave had a very positive outlook on the situation. He runs events that are 15 to 30 to 40,000 people. So he is a very well-known and renowned race director. And you are a race director for a lot of races that you race direct 100 to 120 races a year, but they're all more like 300 to 2,000 person races. So how do you see the COVID-19 race cancellation. What do you think it's going to do to our industry in the near future and then maybe in the far future? First, I want to say that we do time and help partner with our nonprofit organizations like Proactive Lifestyle Events, uh, like uh, Susan G. Komen, um, like New, New Hanover Regional Medical Center. There's uh, our, The litany of our customers are people and organizations that are nonprofit charitable organizations, and those people need money probably more than any one, you know, like, and so I feel like it's our responsibility to figure that out. Uh, We've done a really good job as a company providing predictable revenue sources for folks like the Cape Fear Habitat for Humanity that put on a 4,000-person Thanksgiving morning race, the Riceville Beach Turkey Trot, other events. Uh, And so from a, you know, a broad view, it has to return. 
Does that mean that there will be a little bit of an advantage, perhaps, for smaller races in the beginning? Maybe, because I think this will unravel in a similar way that it came to be, where we saw, okay, you can't have 500 people together. Okay, you can't have 100 people together. Okay, you can't have 10 people together. It's going to come back the same way. All right, we can do 100 people. All right, we can do 500 people. Okay, we can have a concert or a baseball game. And so I think that we, the wheelhouse, as you mentioned, that 300-person to 2,000-person race, we're really, I think our average race is somewhere between uh, 300 and 600 people. That's our, our normal event. Do you think runners are going to immediately step to the plate and come right back to it? Or do you think there's going to be some hesitation? I think that they will. I think that people who are uh, medically able and are in, in, you know, encouraged by whatever restraints that we have to put on the event to make sure that it is safe and complicit with the CDC and anyone else, we, we have to prove to the customer that we're going to do what is right by science. But then I think that, you know, racing will continue. There's going to be a period there where it's going to be awkward, I think. And as people learn whether or not they need masks, what corrals will look like, I think that we'll have staggered starts across the board for quite some time. I think that that, and that's cool for us because we've talked about this before, you know, our sport is very unique and we can say, all right, this is the start time for women age 30 to 35. And we have two waves of women to 30 to 35. So it will give people a, a kind of a unique opportunity to run with competitive of only their gender and age group. So we'll have many age group races within 300, 500,000 person events. But I, I think that what will happen, and you know, again, I'm no expert, neither medically, and I know very little about a whole lot, but I think that the way that we will have to unroll it is, okay, if they say you can have 50 people, we're going to have a 50-person race. Does that mean 50 people sign up immediately? I don't know, you know, because there's the, if you have 65% of the population that is in jobs that are deemed necessary, and the rest of the folks are figuring out unemployment and figuring out disposable income. I'm not sure what those decisions look like. I think that we may see lower frilled races, at least for a time, where the cost is down. And I, you and Dave had a great conversation as to how much sunk cost goes into an event in the months prior to it. Those aren't things that you can easily recoup. So I think the race directors also will be fiduciary in thinking that they have to guard the till and maybe not have medals if they usually did, or maybe not have certain uh, accessories to the race and just keep the races going as things get back to normal. Yeah. And, and a message to all of our runners out there is because mostly runners will be listening to this is I think it's your job right now to, obviously you have the ability to continue running, but I have seen, and, and I talked to Dave about this too, more people exercising than ever. Get your neighbor interested because the race field, the race industry is going to want to recoup all of this lost time and getting more people so we have a, a successful winter and spring. So so I know Colin has a, a few questions for me too, which I'm, I can't wait to hear what yeah. he has to ask. Well, you know, so I, I'm sure a lot of your audience knows this or maybe they don't, but I spent the first 20 years of my life in television news and interviewing people. And, and uh, I think that a lot of people really like this type of content, but they may not know you as well. And so I thought maybe we just get to know Tom Clifford a little bit. I guess I'd like to start off with how many hours a night are you sleeping? Because Tom Clifford somehow still like on seemingly no training puts together sub 230 marathons and can go run 415 the 1600 and is able to run multiple businesses. What do you what does your evening routine look like? Evening routine, that's a good question. I typically from 4:30 I'll leave the house and go to practice. 
right now, yeah. I mean, I'm I probably have I've done some since I haven't had to wake up for anything. I've gone to bed at twelve to one a.m. and woke oh. up at seven. I have to wake up at seven because the girls get up. So I have two girls, um, and I have my wife, of course, a wife and two girls, and they're up at seven. So I'll like stay out till twelve or one sometimes and just work on the porch and just just fiddle around and learn stuff and might work on uh, I have coached a lot of people on training peaks so I review some of their things and see what they're doing how they're doing chime in on some of their training piece conversations might hit them up with an email if I see something I want to do but I try to just go through my checklist but if I'm doing something new like editing a podcast right. or I'm writing new content for the website or fixing things that I want to fix for a while I just want to, if I'm in the mood to do it, then I do it. If I'm not in the mood and I feel a little burned out or I wanted to watch a movie with the girls that night, then I just, then I watch a movie and I go to bed. So you're, you're obviously learning new, new tricks as we all are. And I think that that's one of the things that I've always liked about you. Uh, when I, when I first met Tom, he was kind of doing the same thing, but not really like you've grown a lot in, in, in what you've been doing. When you went to college, what did you think you would be doing when you day one of college? What did you think? your path would look like went to eastern michigan was a hundred percent going to be a teacher i wanted to be a physical education teacher i saw myself being a teacher at a school coaching track and field at that school or cross country and living that lifestyle summers off camps the same thing i did throughout high school and college i pretty much would work all summer in college we would go to summer camp in college we would run all summer, and then the school year was the school year. We'd be in season, kind of that same routine. You know, that's a routine you're used to doing. But then I graduated in a recession. So this, what's happening right now isn't necessarily, it's new to all of us. But when I graduated, I was like, I had, I had you had to find something to do. You had to find ways to, to make money, what to make a living. Uh, I moved to North Carolina. So you were in Grand Rapids? No, I was, I, I was in Ypsilanti. Okay. Yeah. And then so you moved to North Carolina, you picked a dot on the map? Uh, Tim Nichols, a buddy of mine lived here. He was in the Coast Guard. Mm -hmm. He had a house. I came down and visited him on my spring break when I was student teaching. And I lived with him. I came down and visited him. He said, hey, man, look, I can get you a job at a gym here. I had no idea what it was. I just was like, I'm going to try this. My mom and dad, I mean, they were supportive, but they didn't want me to leave. But I was like, I had my head on it already. So I had to give it a, a shot. But all through college, I worked construction through my college career. So I ran work construction for a company called Barnes and Barnes Apartment Rental. We did construction, we did apartment turnover, you know, painting walls, lawns, all the grunt work that you could think of, ripping out, you know, old apartments. So we would do that and we'd go to practice. So I would work Tuesday, Thursday, then I'd have practice at 3.30 and I'd go to school. I'd set all my classes Monday, Wednesday, Friday, starting at eight o'clock and straight through practice because you can set your own schedule in college, you know? So I'd work Tuesday, Thursday, and then do one night class a week. I'm not a workaholic, but I enjoy work. Some The things I'm passionate about, I enjoy doing. I don't think of them as a job. When you were at college, what was your specialty in cross-country and track? Well, cross-country is cross-country. Were you a yeah. – but some guys run cross-country because they have to run cross-country. You had to run cross-country, but I, I was never, never a standout at Eastern. I mean, I was wouldn't Tim call the, myself a standout Tim now either. Tim, Tim was good. He, he – the Tim, brought you to yeah, Tim, Tim and I were comparable. We were both the biggest guys on the team too, as we were fighting for like top 10 on the team. And he got really good his sophomore year. And then uh, some, some drama happened where he, he should have probably made the outdoor Mac team 
they doubled up a couple guys who were better. So they, they had, you know, in track, you can run four events. Well, he should have ran the 5,000. Like we remember how good a shape he was in. He was in phenomenal shape. Well, they had another guy run and that was the way it was. I mean, the coach, that's what he had. And Tim, he didn't like it. He decided, I want to go run somewhere where I'm actually going to compete. So he went to Grand Valley State University. Oh, he transferred. Yeah, and he ran under a great coach there, Jerry Baltus, and he he got really good, and then he had to go into the Coast Guard. Your Tim, specialty was? You know, I, I ran the 3K. It was probably one of my best events. Or an Steeple or just? No, 3K, indoor. And okay. then I ran the mile indoor, and then I was part of the DMR. Those are some of my better events. Outdoor, I ran the 5K a couple times. My college career, I would say, you know, we were very competitive at Eastern, so there was a lot of good guys on the team. So you were kind of fighting for, in my position, you were fighting for to score once in a while. So the times I actually got to score and become a MAC champion, I was MAC champion in the DMR. I got to run the 3K and have – I was a relevant guy. I became the captain, so more of a leader, but definitely not the top guy on the team by, at all, by any means. So probably could have made better decisions in college too. Probably could have partied less. So <laughs> I was going to ask you that. What's the worst thing you've ever done to your body? <laughs> Drank too much alcohol. Really? <laughs> oh yeah. Nothing worse than that. I mean like long one week, no hardly sleeping. What's the, mm, when you nah. look back, do you have a like, okay, I probably shouldn't have been this hard on my body at some point. Because I, to look at you now, you treat yourself pretty, like you said, you get the sleep, you eat the vitamins, you get the rest, you, you do the things that you're supposed to do. But, Talk just a little bit about times that you were like, mm. you know, it was, we were actually pretty consistent. And if any of my Eastern guys are listening to this, they would know that I was pretty, I was pushed a lot to get my weight down in college. I mean, whether that's good or bad, or whether you think that's controversial or not, that was the way I, it was. So I was actually pretty, I remember a buddy of mine, Steve, he, they used to criticize me because I would you know, I get more on the low carb diet. So I go buy a whole chicken and eat it, you know, like an entire rotisserie chicken. And then I'd make pudding out of the low calorie pudding just so I could have the chocolate fix. We, we were very conscious of diet in college, but so I, I can't ever say I ate bad because when my dad had a heart attack, when he was 45, I was young and that was a scare for our family. So we were pushed to eat good. I, I could never say diet was really an ever an issue and it still isn't. I like eating healthy food. Of course, everybody in college drinks a lot. And, you know, that was one thing that we had to keep under control. And if I wasn't a college athlete, I probably would have partied a lot more. So I can't, I always say running has always kept me down to earth. And then my family and faith and all that, like now I've definitely grown, but I could tell, I mean, there, I'd say the, one of the worst, lowest times in my life was when we, we used to do this race called the Great Lakes Relay, mm -hmm. and I had already moved here. But I was, you know, you're out of college, you're finally making money. You know, I went home, did the relay, but we were out of control. We were crazy. We were partying too much up there. We had won the relay before, but we were just out of control. The whole team was. We had young guys. Everybody was having a good time, and then they kicked they kicked our team out because we were too rowdy. <laughs> and what's funny now is. I direct events <laughs> and those guys are the event directors. And I could, if I looked in their eyes now, I would have kicked me out too. You know, any it's, good stories there. Oh yeah. I mean, it, we got blamed for a tent that got set on fire, even though it wasn't <laughs> us, but it was, it was that bad, you know, but I mean, you look back, everybody's got those things in their lives. And I mean, you learn from them, but that was a turning point for me. I actually 
had that happen and I came back and I said, I got to get, I got to get my stuff together. You know, I want to really do something good with my life. And that's when I started without limits and I changed things around from that day. And, um, so there's definitely stress got to me. There were some points, I don't know if I know you knew that I had a heart ablation done when I was in 2010, I was endurance training, I was Ironman training, but I was stressed that year because it was the first year we started the Wilmington Wrightsville Beach Marathon. And so I, if I were to ever give, you know, advice to anybody listening, it would be that there's a lot of stress that isn't worth it. You do have to go through stressful times in your life, but you also have to just relax and realize that just let the process take place sometimes and you'll be fine. That's good. It's good to hear you lit a few things on fire. That's, that <laughs> makes me happy. I'm not sure why. All right. So maybe a dumpster, but I, you didn't hear that from me. <laughs> <laughs> so this, uh, not about 10 days from when we're recording this, your, your organization is putting on a virtual mile for the 4th and 5th of May, uh, Cinco de Mile, uh, and you're asking anyone who wants to participate, but obviously the athletes that you coach, some 150 or so people here in the Wilmington area, and I think that the affiliates uh, are also participating. Uh, the mile is is hard. Uh, but I want to ask you this, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see it, Tom is going to age grade the mile based upon people's gender and their age, um, so it'll be proportionate to either the whatever handicapping system is used, but the each athlete will then be positioned on a leaderboard based upon you know how they do in the mile. What do you consider more esteemable performances? And I looked this up before I came over here. The men's marathon age group for 50 and up is 219, but the men's one-mile age group for 50 and up is 419. Which is a better record and why? For 50 and up, I think if you're running 419, that's really impressive. 219 is incredible too. I mean, they're both insanely fast. I would say that running a marathon at age 50 and your body still holding up that well at 219, I would probably say that might be the more, the stronger performance. And only because as you age, your your joints, your body takes a lot of beating, you tighten up, your range of motion decreases. So they're very different races, you know? I mean, with that being said, range of motion decreases, da, 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 running a 419 mile is still pretty impressive. But I think that you can train for a mile on much lower volume if you have natural speed that you might not lose as much. Whereas training for a marathon at running 219 takes an incredible amount of volume. And Time. to sustain that for, for that long in your life, look at the genetic factors of the person but still, it's still they're that they've been an athlete that long. So I would pick the marathon on that one. What is your mile PR and your marathon PR? Mile PR is a fifteen hundred meter equivalent, which is um, uh, fifty one, I think, in college I ran in the fifteen hundred. So that four oh two? No, four it was like equivalent to like a four oh eight. Four oh eight. But then I actually ran four oh nine in the four by one mile relay at the Tennessee relays, the C Ray relays in Tennessee. Yeah. And then your marathon? Two twenty seven. Which is the bigger accomplishment for you? The marathon, I have not reached my potential. So right now, I'd say the mile. The mile, I may have reached my potential. That was when I was a senior in college. So the mar- the marathon, running a 227, is good. But if you look at like a the VDOT scale or whatever, my marathon time should be 225. So have I reached my potential yet? No. Do I still want to? Yes. We'll see where that goes. How old are you? 36, going on 37 this June. Yep. So the, clock, the marathon clock's ticking. It's, cl- it's ticking, baby. Women's age group, 50 and up for the mile, 457. Marathon, 231. 
which is the better record and why? Again, it's such a tough question because the mile is such a different event than the marathon. I think the marathon again. For the okay. same reasons. Okay. The same reason. You know, again, you're you're dealing with somebody probably that has some more genetic talent that can hold speed for a longer period of time and keep a lower volume. Where the marathon, you got to have a higher volume. That Bernard Lagat has all of the men's forty and up age group records from the sixteen hundred yeah. to the five k. Yeah. He is. So what in those two races? What do you think is the what, what's your opinion? Uh, that's a great question. I think that I'm on the other side of the fence uh, because I feel like at uh, if you would have told me I would feel like this at 43 i'll be 44 this year um the the 1600 and that's that last 600 of a of a mile race i would trade i would rather run 10 miles at lactate threshold or you know or, or hurting bad in a marathon than i than that you know one and a half minutes on the track or, or minute and 45 it's just very difficult to be able to in, in especially in non-race situations or master race situations to be able to mentally push yourself into the pain cave deep enough to, to keep it. You are also right now very used to running marathon and threshold work. Whereas if you got into some of the mile pace work, the VO two work, the repetition economy work on the track, you would be able to transition and adapt to it. So it wouldn't seem so foreign to you. Just like when we did the 400, four by 800 a few years ago. I mean, it probably was five years ago now, six years ago, but we did the four by eight. Remember we did the four by eight relay of the masters race. And I, I didn't, ago. I didn't think I could pull a sub two minute half mile anymore. I, I wasn't even training for it. And we just was like four weeks. We're like, okay, let's train four weeks. And I think that faster stuff needs to be done in the summertime. Sure. That faster hot. work yeah. needs to be, you know, people need to take advantage of that. That's, that was one of the reasons why we did this Cinco de mile thing, because People should be doing short and quick right now, but I think this is an opportunity to work on short speed and, and to work on economy intervals and, and really understand what racing the mile is like because that does transition, that grind transitions upward. This is the reason why professional runners don't get into the marathon when they're teens and 20s. Mm -hmm. They wait. Yeah, and I think to, to that point, for a, new, for a newer runner, for a person that's just getting into running uh, – uh, somebody that's in the walk to run program the idea of running a, a marathon sounds like a, a large accomplishment but it's probably actually harder for a new runner to run a fast mile than it is for somebody that's new to to just beat the distance in in the marathon i have a runner right now who asked me well what do you think i can run in a marathon what do you think my potential is because we were talking about the mile you know and i said well that's a great question you're going to find out what your potential is by running a mile or a two mile, you're going to find out what your, what your physical potential is. And then when you actually do marathon training over time, you know, Erin Hogson was a perfect example of that. She was a 400-meter hurdler, and she got really good at the 400-meter hurdles. Ta she was talented in running f short and quick and power bursting. And then over a period of 10 years, she got into the road racing scene because that was what was popular. And so the marathon became a thing, and she was talented enough. So. All right, we're going to wrap it up with one more question from you. You got any more questions for me? Sure. Petty or Zeppelin? Petty. Why? Nostalgia on my part. I love Zeppelin, don't get me wrong, but Petty gives me too many good memories of old times. If you had the perfect trail run, any conditions you want, any location you want, or perfect powder run, any location you want, which do you choose? I love skiing, but I only ski once a year. Running trail, about 45 degrees overcast with slight drizzle where maybe western north carolina like dupont state forest 
or I would say my, my favorite trails in Michigan, Potawatomi trails. And I think it's Washtenaw County. Uh, Potawatomi good or any of the trails near the Grand Rapids. I used to run and love it good at fall. I, it, it, the, the smell fall smell cross country. There's a smell. I it's, can't, I can't explain it, but anybody in the North and the Midwest knows that cross country football season, the leaves are all in colors. There's just nothing like so it. So it's deciduous trees or, or pine trees, or it's like maple trees okay. that are all have changed colors. And the apple barns are open. Yeah, you got you you have pumpkin donuts when you're done, and apple cider, and there's nothing like that. That's my f- probably my favorite conditions to run in is the fall in Michigan. The, my favorite time of the year is still summer in Michigan. I love fall in North Dry. Carolina because it's it's kind of like the summers in Michigan too, a little bit in between. But yeah, it's um. There's something uh, – I'm blessed to have two lives. I have one life down here in North Carolina, and then I get to go home in Michigan in the summertime and enjoy, you know, my family up there. So, Thanks for having me on your show. Thanks for interviewing me on my show. And we'll, <laughs> we're, good. we'll do again. Uh, this is called Running Talk with Colin and Tom, and we'll join you guys next time. Whenever you see Running Talk on the podcast, you can – chime in and you'll just hear different subjects of running and you'll hear different stories from us as just the recreational runners I ran in college uh, Colin ran in high school and now he's doing his own thing and we're just very passionate about the sport we love coaching the sport we love coaching the youth side of the sport and watching people succeed so uh, we hope you all are doing great out there and we will see you next time